Wow, God's kingdom is a beautiful thing and it's so good to be together today. Um, I don't know if I said this earlier or not during the welcome, but my name's Chris Pletcher and uh, I'm, I'm the lead pastor of this church with my wife Arlena who got up during worship and just pushed us over the edge. I mean, so powerful. And it's so cool. We have a prophetic prayer team that gathers at three o'clock before service to pray into what God is doing and what he's saying for our church. And uh, they didn't know what Arlena was about to share, but they kept hearing from the Lord this word, it's time to go to battle. It's time to go to battle. And I said, well, that's awesome because Arlena had a dream or something the other night she couldn't sleep and felt like this picture from Second Chronicles 20. I had no idea it was 2022. That's the verse that when we worship God, he goes to war against the darkness. When we lift him up, that's why our vision as a church is to just exalt Jesus. We just lift him up. We just worship him over and over again. We, we worship him and he goes and does the hard and heavy lifting work of the kingdom. And he says, hey, my yoke is easy for you. And so, so encouraging to be together today. And I'm excited because uh, for the next two weeks, so tonight and uh, next Sunday, I'm going to be unpacking for us uh, just what we have sensed um, is just some direction from the Lord for 2022 for this local church family. And so pumped, this message is called Ready the Bride, all right? It's part one, and I'm excited uh, to tell you a pretty epic story. So every marriage story, right, starts with an epic proposal, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? An invitation from the groom to the future groom, to the future bride, to be his one and only, till death do us part. I proposed to Arlena on a winter night on my family's ranch in Texas, and it's an epic story worth telling. I haven't brought you in yet to much of our story and our relationship, but growing up in Texas, all right, hunting was just a part of how we spent our free time as a family, all right? So my earliest memories are of these long, early morning drives with my dad and my brother through the dark, going to some place deep in South Texas, chasing after deer, after ducks, after dove. You got any hunters in the room? I don't know what like Salt Lake County is all about, but okay, we got a few. Just hang in there with me if you hate me for being a hunter. Can I just get some grace? All right, so check this out. So by the time I was in my 20s and dating Arlena, my dad owned this ranch in the hill country of Texas, all right? It was the last week of 2008, and we were at the ranch spending Christmas with my dad's side of the family, but I was secretly scheming behind the scenes to pull off an epic, an epic proposal, all right? The ranch was just like the place where I love to be, and I just that's where I wanted to propose to her. So... It was hunting season, so of course, our first night at the ranch, I took Arlena out on her first hunt, okay? Now, she was so cute, guys. Like, she was totally enamored, like, threw on the camo. Like, she was such a trooper. She had never, like, ventured into this world at all, but was just so excited to, to go for it, okay? And so, late in the evening, we're, we're sitting there, and we had these giant feral pigs. Okay. In Texas, we, we call them hogs. All right. <laughs> There's these black, don't, don't picture Wilbur. All right. This is like a black filthy beast of an animal with tusks. Okay. And so they come out and it's, I'm just like, Oh, 
perfect. Here's what you gotta, you gotta know. Hunting hogs is like a southerner's guilty pleasure, okay? It's like the one animal you hunt with zero regret or remorse because they're actually considered a nuisance. They're like incredibly destructive to the land to the point where there are companies, sorry, this is not in my notes. There are companies you can hire and they will take you up, men. This is, sorry, I'm talking about our proposal. I'm sorry, babe, just, I'm getting back to it. They will take you up in a helicopter, Pete Jones, with an automatic rifle, and they will fly you over these farmlands where there are hundreds of these hogs creating absolute destruction. And dude, you can hunt them from a helicopter. This is awesome, dude, you're in, with a automatic weapon. And then they gather them, and they give the food to the poor, okay? They're not just wasting meat. All right, look, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, sorry. So anyway, these hogs come out. I pull up my rifle. It's almost dark. And guys, I smoke this hog. All right, perfect shot. And she is both totally shocked and totally impressed, but we were just getting started, all right? So I walk down into the canyon. She waits up for me in the blind. I walk down into the canyon. I drag my prize back up the hill. She's watching, like taking pictures, you know, from the blind. And I proceed to process this animal to be eaten, okay? Because I grew up in Texas and I'm a man and I know how to do that stuff, okay? So I skin this deer with my own knife and I quarter it. And within half an hour, we've got freezer bags full of meat, and she is watching this whole thing. Now, look, dude, she was ready to marry me before this, all right? But look, talk about sealing the deal, all right? Uh, no lie. She hugs me afterwards and goes, well, uh, now I know our babies will never go hungry. And I was like, the next night, fellas, down by the creek, campfire, lights, candles hanging from the trees, little bottle of champagne, my acoustic guitar, I get on a knee, I pop the question, done deal. 13 years later, five kids. Guys, here, every marriage starts with an epic proposal. All right? And look, there's a million variations of this story. This is just ours. All right? Married couples in the room, your story is part of your history together. We take our kids back to that spot at that ranch in Texas. We say, guys, this is where daddy asked your mommy to be his wife. And they just think it's so cool. And they all know right there down by the creek, right? Your story, Mary, it matters. And for those of you that are patiently waiting for that day, your heart has been stirred by great love stories and something in you longs to live out your own, right? But the truth is, is that billions of men throughout history have fallen for a young lady, pursued her unto marriage with extravagant displays of love and affection and courtship. But look, if we have eyes to see it, this reality in its purest expression, y'all, it actually provides us with a window into the heart of God. He is a wild lover and he pursues us into covenant with himself. He wins us and woos us with his love and he calls us individually and at a, as a people that the Bible calls his bride. 
calls us into marriage covenant with himself. He is the most generous, sacrificial, and extravagant pursuer of your heart and of my heart that the world has ever known. He is a wild lover. So much so that one of the primary illustrations used throughout biblical history to capture his divine nature is that of a groom loving and pursuing his bride. Check out Isaiah 54, verse five. It'll be up here on the screen. It says, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. The message tonight and and next week is called Ready the Bride. And as we enter into 2022, our team has been praying and listening for what we have just been calling a prophetic direction over this year. And I want to just for a minute uh, explain that concept if that is a new or confusing or strange terminology for you. But, But here's the deal. We have three gifts, three primary gifts from God that guide us and direct us as citizens of his kingdom and as a family, as a biblical family in his house, all right? Now, what I'm about to say was all made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' death on a cross, the pouring out of his blood, and his resurrection from the grave. This is what we call the gospel, okay? Gospel is the declaration that Jesus Christ alone can redeem and restore and fix all the brokenness that we've all been waiting through our whole lives because of sin. Jesus alone. And it's through the cleansing power of his blood which he poured out on the cross and the victorious nature of his resurrection when he defeated death. This is the gospel. And if you've never received this good news by faith that he died and rose for you, that is your one step of faith today is to believe that your healing and restoration is all in the name of Jesus. The Bible says it this way. It says there's no other name under heaven by which we're saved. Saved doesn't just mean rescued from God's judgment, although it does mean that. It actually means saved, healed, and delivered. The hope of healing and salvation is in the gospel, okay? He wipes away your past, present, and future sin. It gives you a new heart, the Bible says, and then he puts his spirit inside of you to guide you, help you, empower you, and lead you into a new life. Transformation in a new life is the natural byproduct and progression of true faith and salvation. The Bible actually goes so far to call it as a rebirth when you call on Jesus and you get saved. And so if you've never done that, that's why you're here. That's why God brought you here. If you've never called on the name of the Lord, hey, that's why you came to church tonight. 
to hear that good news. But I want to tell you, so the gospel, God puts us in this family called the church, okay? And then he gives us, back to the three gifts, okay? He gives us three gifts to guide and direct us as a family. He gives us the spirit of God. He gives us the word of God. And he gives us the people of God. So we are a church that is built and is building upon the immovable nature of God's written word. We sometimes call this the logos word. It is the written immovable word of God. We are also a church that is guided through each and every unique season of life by listening to the spirit of God who when we believe in him dwells in us and the spirit of God will breathe on specific aspects of God's written logos word in a season and the and the the word for this we call it is his rhema word which just means his spoken word the Logos word of God is always true, but the spirit of God will highlight and speak a rhema word into a season for us. Are you following me? Yeah. Now, this is all meant to happen as we live in community together. This is not something that I am doing on my own and then I come to everybody else and say, God has spoken to me because I, no, no, we do this in a team. Our team, our staff team, our pastoral leadership team, people that are not on our staff that just come to pray with us a lot, we say, what is God saying? What are you hearing? What is his rhema word, all right? And we say here in our team that we always wanna listen before we lead. Yeah. And as we have, we're coming to the end of 2021, it seemed as if the Lord was speaking to us through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. Say that with me, the three gifts, his word, his spirit, and his people. And it seemed like the Lord was saying this to us. Get my bride ready. So as we launch into this new year, I want to unpack a little bit of this today by bringing some biblical context um, behind the bride of Christ because this word is gonna really inform and direct us until we sense God saying something else, all right? But in case you're like me, so I came to Christ my freshman year of college literally out of the frat house, chugging pitchers of beer, not following God at all, and it just sent me because look, every path of unrighteousness can only lead to your destruction. All right. And it only sent me further into my pit until I came to my senses. I realized I was languishing, living selfishly and not following God. And I turned my life over to the Lord my freshman year of college. And it transformed the, the last 20 years of my life following Jesus. But I show up to the church, this guy fresh out of the frat house. Can you picture this? Okay. I'm like two weeks saved. And I hear them talking about the bride. Okay. I went to Texas A&M University. I grew up chasing hogs, right? I'm like, what are we talking about at church? Guys, can you relate to me? Like sometimes as men, we're like, ready the bride, man? You got a veil on the screen? Like, come on. Like, uh, let's go back to Arlena's word about the battle. Come on, can we just have fun? You know what I'm talking about? Guys, man, we want to watch Braveheart. But even in Braveheart, man, there was an amazing love story. Dudes, you got to check it out. But here's the deal. <laughs> Here's the deal. I want to unpack for us, give us some context. 
between the people, behind the people of God as the bride of Christ, okay? Because if we're gonna partner with this word and submit as his bride and say, make us ready, whatever that means, okay? Then we need to understand biblically how to connect. So I wanna tell you three truths tonight about the bride. Are you ready? Anybody excited about the word of God? I love God's word. I wanna tell you three truths about the bride, okay? Number one, every marriage starts with an epic proposal. Guys, the bride is extravagantly loved by the groom. And you need to know that God is the primary pursuer of your heart and that he has loved you and pursued you unto his own death to redeem your life. The bride is loved by the groom. Number two, the bride is made new through relationship with the groom. When you enter into a covenant with somebody, it transforms you. We're gonna have some fun with that. I'm gonna tell you some stories from our marriage, okay? But number three, Every covenant is tested. And the bride, though she is so extravagantly loved by God, though she is so extravagantly transformed by him, will always be tempted and tested to look outside of the covenant and forsake her first love. And so tonight, I'm gonna ask that God would begin to download to us something supernatural for this year that we would understand our role as the bride of Christ. If you're with me, will you just join me and we're gonna pray for a second and we're gonna keep going. So Father, God, we just acknowledge your great love for us in Jesus and we just say, come Holy Spirit, have your way, speak through your Logos written word. We pray that you would breathe on it by your spirit and it would become living and active and alive and that it would do things, supernatural things in our hearts and our minds tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said. I want you to flip to Song of Solomon chapter four. That's why we just prayed, a little heads up, all right? You always gotta pray before reading the Song of Solomon, all right? And you'll know here, I, actually, I'm keeping this PG, don't worry, but Song of Solomon four captures more than any other book in the Bible, God as a wild-hearted lover for his groom. Check it out. It says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I don't know what that looks like. I've never seen it, but it must be majestic and flowy, okay? Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing. It says, all of which bear twins and not one of them has lost its young. She's got a full mouth of teeth. Praise God. Back then, that was a big deal, y'all, all right? Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Verse seven, you are altogether beautiful, my love. Can you hear the love of the groom? There is no flaw in you. Come with me, the invitation, my bride. He's calling out in love. Come with me from Lebanon. It goes on. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister and my bride. 
You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. I don't know if a preacher's ever told you this before, but God is a wild lover. And if you are uncomfortable with that, let me just remind you gently that you were made in his image. So if you have found in yourself at any point in your life that you are a wild lover, can I encourage you? That's because you've been made in the image of God. Where do you think that longing and desire comes from? And so God is a wild lover. I want us to see a few things. Look at his delight, his delight in his bride. He just says, you are altogether beautiful. You've captivated my heart. That invitation to her, come, come away with me. Let's get away together. Let's go and be in love together. And then his pleasure in her love back to him. Don't miss this. The groom says to her, your love is better than wine to me. It is better than the fragrance of oils of any spice. Now look, look, it is a hard enough concept for us to grasp how much God actually loves us, okay? I would submit to us that it's actually even harder for us to believe that when we love him back, it matters. Do you know? Do you know that your love to him is precious when you love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? When you submit to his word and say, I will have no other gods before you. I will fight the temptation to look outside of the covenant. We'll get there in a second. And I will preserve my heart for you alone, God. Oh, he says it's better than wine to him. Isaiah 62 verse five says, as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, check it out, so shall your God rejoice over you. God is a wild lover of his bride. And we need to know that as his people, church, we have been fought for. We have been pursued. We have been sacrificed for. And we are cherished by his heart. And we belong to him. We belong to him through covenant. The second thing I said is not that God is just a wild love in love with his people, but that his bride is made new through covenant. Being in a covenant relationship with somebody fundamentally changes who you are over time. Married couples over 20 years say yes and amen. You're like, yep, 
yep, I got you, man. You don't have to go any further. Look, I can only begin to describe how much my relationship with Arlena in the last 13 years has changed me. Now, some of these are like serious changes. Some of these are kind of silly, more comical changes. I'm gonna share some of both, okay? But look, all of them are significant changes. The point is this refinement happens in covenant. When you bind yourself in that close proximity to relationship with somebody called a covenant, you cannot help but be changed. You cannot. And it is no less true in real marriage, earthly marriage, than it is in covenant relationship with God. It changes us, all right? So here's a silly example. I used to be like pretty incredibly... um, irritable, like, like easily frustrated. Okay, dude, some of y'all are going to feel me on this. Like we would be driving somewhere early in marriage. This was like the early days of like Apple maps or map quests on your phone. And you're like trying to follow the blue line, you know, okay, wait, was this my exit? No, no. Oh, that was my exit. You know, and you missed the blue line. I'd miss the exit. And she can testify. I mean, it's like a 15 minute detour and I am just the whole time, just, oh, this is so frustrated, you know, just, ah, it was so unattractive. <laughs> just, so who is this crazy person that wooed me by the creek at the ranch, and now you're losing your mind on the freeway because we missed an exit, you know? But here's the deal. In covenant with, with Arlena, if you know anything about her, she's an incredibly peaceful woman. And being connected and covenanted to her for the last 13 years I mean, y'all didn't know me, but the peace, if there's any peace on my life, it is pretty much all because I was made new and changed through her peace and covenant. That's kind of a silly example, more serious example. I was very insecure when we got married. My story, my, my upbringing, I mean, th- there was just so much room throughout my childhood to just feel so insecure about so many different things, you name it. And I struggled with people pleasing. I struggled with vanity. I struggled with the fear of man. I mean, most of my childhood upbringing, post-college, so insecure. But something about being unconditionally accepted by somebody changed me. It created this environment for me to be transformed and I mean, I look back on the security and peace that I walk in now. It's just, I have been changed. I've been transformed through covenant with my bride. Are you with me? Covenant changes us. All right, Ephesians 17, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I want you guys to follow along with me on this. It says, I say this to you and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated. There's some footnotes we forgot to delete. That's on me. alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. It's talking about the, uh, the world that does not submit to the ways of God. Check this out. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But then it says this, no, 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 but look, that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming, it says, that you have heard the truth and have learned the truth in Christ, that you are to, this is verse 22, Ephesians 4, that you are to put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you're to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Check it out. Created, remember that rebirth thing I said? Born again, created again after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Are you seeing the old for new there? What he's saying is the normal gospel is that you come into a covenant with God. And no matter what you look like when you arrived in that marriage, if you walk out in that covenant, you will be changed. The only way for you to not be changed is if you divorce him and walk away and are not faithful to stay close to him. If you stay close to him, you will be changed. The nature of covenant is that it transforms you. It makes you new. So, so back to the bride, we call this going from glory to glory. Second Corinthians actually three calls this from going from glory to glory. It says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Some marriage imagery there. Now the Lord is the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. Check this out. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is a spirit. This is what this passage is saying, is that we become what we behold, all right? So whatever you magnify, whatever you become intimate and acquainted with, as you behold God's goodness and glory, it, you cannot help but be changed by it. I'm not the man that I was 20 years ago when I surrendered my life to Jesus coming out of the frat house. It has been an ongoing glory to glory transformative process that continues today. Are you, making, is, is, are you tracking with me, church? We're extravagantly loved by God. And being in covenant with, covenant with him transforms us deeply. And I want us to just see this again uh, one last time. There's this passage in, in Ezekiel 16. I actually, let, let's not get bogged down. I, I go there and dig into it. I'm just gonna kind of paraphrase a little bit, okay? It's this beautiful passage in Ezekiel 16 where he's saying that he passed by and, and saw his future bride and she was at the age for love. And look, he says, I spread the corner of my garment over you. I covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you. Check this out. I entered into a covenant with you declares the Lord, and you became mine. Let's keep going. Look what happens. He says, then I bathed you with water. I washed off your blood from you, and I anointed you. I clothed you with embroidered cloth, and I shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen, covered you with silk. I adorned you. I put all kinds of jewelry, ornaments, bracelets on you, okay? Look at verse 13 here. Uh, let's go, yeah, thus you were adorned, let's go one more slide, with gold and silver, check that out. And you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed on you. Here's what I want you to see. Are you guys with me? He washed 
I mean, it found the bride. I mean, just neglected, side of the road, covered in blood, apparently washed, cleansed her, showed compassion to her, covered her most, most vulnerable places. Okay, look, invited her into a covenant, washed her again, anointed her, wrapped her in even finer garments and clothes and jewelry, ladies, okay, and crowned her and called her exceedingly beautiful. Dudes, hang in with me. If I'm losing you with all the beauty talk, guys, hang with me. Okay, listen, church, the love of God makes us new. And whether you're a dude or a lady, it makes you beautiful, okay? Because you're made in the image of a beautiful God. But your image was broken, scarred, discarded, like the, whatever's going on in the bloody side of the road thing here, okay? This is the love of God. This is the gospel. My life was a broken, beaten mess, after my first 19 years of not knowing God or walking with him in any manner. Guys, and the life, um, we, are, we are far from perfect, but the deep, real level, like transformation and beautification that the gospel has done in my life, it, it, it is, it's amazing. And remember, I said this earlier, it's all through the blood of Jesus. Look at this. It washes us from our past. It covers our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses, okay? And it anoints us for our future. So I sense that for tonight, part of this ready the bride word for tonight is that um, some of us, and I sense this a little bit last week too, I think that some of us really need to understand truly the washing and the renewal of the gospel. And that it's time for you to step into this beautiful, holy identity as a beloved child of God and part of his bride. Are you with me? There are some things from your past, from our past, that we need to be washed, separated from. There's some broken agreements that need to happen, I think, tonight. And so we're gonna actually, we're gonna take communion here in a minute. We've got three tables. There's one right here and there's one right here and one in, over here in the back. And we're gonna take communion. But I want you to prepare your heart because as you launch into a new year, we cannot afford to be hanging on to the past identities, right, of our brokenness, our failures, right? We cannot, the gospel makes us new, church. And if we're gonna ready the bride, we need to know who we are and what the gospel has done for us. Tracking with me? Fellas, have I lost you too much, bride? Are we there? Guys? All right. So here's the last thing. Even though he's loved us so extravagantly, even though his love transforms us so deeply in covenant, we need to understand as we go and we respond to this word, that every covenant will be tested. But here's the deal. Here's where I want you to feel free, okay? Whether you're, you're talking about your marriage covenant or your walk with God, your covenant with God, listen, the testing of covenants is actually normal, okay? Because here's the deal. 
if there were no other options, the covenant would be cheap. It is very, it is in the, the presence of all other options that I say no to and devote my fidelity to her alone that our covenant becomes powerful and precious. So if you're a married dude or a single dude or we're just talking about your walk with the Lord, you need to understand, you, I know you, every single one of you, your fidelity to God, your fidelity to your spouse, it will be tested. And here's what it does. It gives you the opportunity to actually deepen, recommit, and express your faithfulness to the one. And so stop buying the lie from the enemy of shame when you feel tempted. Your temptations don't define you. Your response to your temptations will chart the course of your future though. And so we've got to learn as the people of God when the testing of our covenants come, we got to learn how to pass the test, pursue our first love in God and preserve the covenants we have. I will tell you in vulnerability in our 12 and a half, we're going on 13 years this summer. Our covenant has been tested. I have been tempted in so many different directions to look to have my needs met outside of our covenant. And any husband that tells you that he's never been tested in that way is probably lying to you. So men, you are not alone. Every one of you, you're come out of your shame where you've been tested. I remember this spirit of adultery. It was our five-year anniversary and we were on a vacation together. I won't get into all the details now, but it was like this force of hell came against me in temptation and I was struggled so much against this, this temptation to forsake. It wasn't like there was a real opportunity. It was all in here, but you know that it all starts right here until you make the agreement right here and then the real opportunity walks up right here and you lose but you didn't lose right here you lost in here a long time ago and so I was just fighting right up in here against this temptation and I'm telling you, over the next couple of years, by the grace of God, because the battle belongs to the Lord, as I pressed into my covenant with God and into my covenant with Arlena through some of our hardest years, man, that, that test and that temptation, I am not perfect, but I'll tell you, it has nothing on me. It has nothing in my marriage. Okay, and our marriage, here's the deal. What I said earlier, those testings of the covenant provides actually opportunities to go deeper. Two years later, we're on our seven-year anniversary. We're at a different resort, laying by the pool together. I'm looking at her and I'm weeping because I realized something. Covenants work when you stay in them, when you fight the lie and you hang in, your emotions are gonna do this, but you commit to her. And at seven years, I looked at her and I wept because I felt what it felt like at year five and it wasn't really fun. 
And at year seven, I found a deeper love for her than I had ever felt before. I said, oh God, God, you are faithful. This is awesome. And it's why God puts us in covenant with himself. Because when we cling to him in the face of all other options, your love for him deepens. Oh, and it becomes sweeter than wine and he receives it. I'm telling you, church, he has seen your devotion to him where you were tempted to go outside of your covenant with him to have your needs met and you didn't. And where you did, we're gonna take communion and remember that the body and blood of Jesus is more than enough to wash you for every compromise you made. But if we're gonna ready the bride, we have got to receive that washing and we have got to re-up in our covenant with him. So band, I want you guys to come up here and I wanna invite you to stand tonight. Go ahead and stand with me because here's the amazing thing about communion Okay, I was researching this a little bit and why we use wine and what was the place of wine in, in Jewish betrothal and marriage ceremony. Some of you might know this, okay, but this is pretty cool and, and it was pretty new to me. But whenever there was a Jewish betrothal and engagement, okay, there were two cups of wine that were a part of this engagement ceremony between these two families. They would sip wine together as he asked for the bride, for the hand of the bride in marriage. And then at the actual marriage ceremony, they have two cups of wine. And it's symbolic that every Jewish Hebrew covenant in all of time was signed, sealed, and delivered by the shedding of blood. That was established Hebrew history. Every time there's a covenant contract, a marriage being entered into, there's wine symbolic of the shedding of blood. Are you hanging with me? So then Jesus sits in the upper room the night before his death and his crucifixion and his betrayal. And he grabs a loaf of bread And he breaks it and says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Every time you take of this, do it in remembrance of me. And then what does he grab next, church? He grabs a cup of wine. And do you know what he says? He says, this cup is the blood of a new covenant. He is reflecting the marriage betrothal imagery in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. Guys, we take communion because we have been through the blood of Jesus. We have entered into a covenant with the Lord who is our maker, who is our husband. Do you understand me? We don't receive the blood. You would not enter into engagement and marriage lightly. But some of us have received the blood of Jesus lightly. Some of us receive the blood of Jesus like we pick an insurance carrier. 
okay, we say, well, I'm gonna put the blood of Jesus in my back pocket and, and, and maybe I won't go to hell one day or something like that. And we say, it's like our insurance policy. It doesn't cost me that much month to month, but if something bad happens, I'm covered. Church, that's not the gospel. You would never enter into a marriage that flippantly. The blood of Jesus is not an insurance policy. It is him on a knee saying, I have given everything for you. Will you be my bride? thank you, Jesus, for your presence in this room. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the great love that you poured out for all the earth to rescue us from our brokenness and our sin and our shame. You're free to go and celebrate your covenant with God and take communion at any point as we worship here. But I encourage you to do it with the weightiness of his blood, the realization of the washing of the blood. Your new identity is his beloved. And to re-enter and to recommit into your covenant with the Lord, your maker. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.